0: Hello and welcome to J.G. Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain at J.G. Ministries. Glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast and you'll receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. For those that have been with us, you know we are studying the book of Luke. We are in chapter 6, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to that chapter. And we'll start with verse 6. Let's get into it. Now last time, we talked about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And now we are going to get into another incident where Jesus again heals on the Sabbath. And we're going to see the reaction of the Pharisees. So in verse 6, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them, all he said to the man Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust with one another what they might do with Jesus. Now I'm going to stop there for a minute, and I'm going to visit with verses 6 through 8. Now we have the second incident. This happened again on another Sabbath, and this concerns a miraculous cure. The second Sabbath controversy involves basically the same issue as the first, human need versus ceremonial law. Now, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and when he sees the man with the atrophied and useless hand, Jesus takes the initiative. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees watch Jesus closely and were scrutinizing Jesus' every action to try and find some fault with him. They were present to, to see this miraculous withered hand that Jesus healed of this man on the Sabbath. Now, from past experience and from their knowledge of him, they had good reason to believe that he would do this. And the Lord, he didn't disappoint them. Now, after the first Sabbath controversy, they think they have a case against him. But Jesus, all knowing that he is, is aware of their thoughts and in the light of the knowledge performs this healing. He has the man stand in front of the people so that all will see what follows. Now this dramatic action riveted the attention of all on what was about to happen. So in verse 9, Jesus asks his critics if it's lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil. If they answered correctly, they would have to say that it was right to do good on the Sabbath and it was wrong to do harm. If it was right to do good, then Jesus was doing good by healing the man. Now, if it was wrong to do evil on the Sabbath, then they were breaking the Sabbath by plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus's question in this verse implies that if any illness is left unattended, when healing can be provided, evil is done by default now jesus is not breaking the sabbath he is using it to do good to a human being that is in need so in verse 10 here jesus commanded the impossible jesus directed the man to stretch out his withered right hand presumably the man exercised obedience born of faith now with the command went the necessary power of course as the man obeyed his hand was restored to normal. Jesus healed his withered hand completely, 100 percent, just like the other one. Now, quick side note here, only Luke, and if you want to call him Dr. Luke because he was a physician of the time, you will see that Luke mentions that it was the right hand, and only a doctor or physician would probably notice something of that nature as closely as he did. So in verse 11, the response of the Pharisees and the scribes, was violent. They were filled with rage. The opposition to Jesus mounts into a crescendo of fury, more intense than that after the previous miracle. They wanted to condemn Jesus for breaking the Sabbath, and all he had done was speak a few words, and the man was healed. There was no physical work involved, yet they plotted together how they might get him. Now, I say no physical work was done because that is how they viewed things being done. You worked on the Sabbath. It was actual labor. So now, near the very start of Jesus's ministry, there is this plot against him, and it's beginning to form. Now, the Sabbath was intended by God for man's good. And when rightly understood, it did not prohibit a work of necessity or a work of mercy. Now that's going to finish our section here. Now we're going to get into Jesus choosing his 12 disciples or apostles. So let's look back to our scriptures here to verse 12. And let's begin. We'll read this little section and then I want to start visiting about these different disciples. So verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles, Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Now to stop there, I want to look at these verses and then I'll get into talking a little bit more about what we know about the different men that Jesus chose. Verse 12, Jesus spent all night in prayer before choosing the 12. It's a sure indication that the circumstances were pressing with the preceding controversy, the resultant threatening atmosphere, and the selection to be made of the 12 apostles. He had a lot to going on. Luke is the only evangelist who mentions this night of prayer, that Jesus prayed all night. Now what a rebuke this is to our impulsiveness and our independence of God. How many of us Christians today have ever spent an entire night in prayer? In his prayer life, as in all else, Jesus stands far above even the best of us whose words about prayer needs to be matched by the consistent practice of it. Just a little food for thought there. But getting back into verses 13 through 16, the disciples up to this time were a group of followers. They were interested in attaching themselves to Jesus, the teacher. Now from this group, Jesus chose the 12. Now Luke alone tells us in this context that Jesus gave them the designation Apostles. That Luke does this accords with his regard for apostolic authority. Now Jesus probably chose the 12 apostles to correspond with the number of tribes of Israel, thereby indicating that a new people of God was coming into existence. So let us take a look at the 12 that Jesus chose. Now early in his ministry, Jesus chose the 12 men to be his disciples And it took about a year and a half to complete his choice of his disciples. Now, these 12 men traveled with Jesus. They listened to him teach for about two years. They were ordinary people. At least four of them were fishermen, and we know that one was a tax collector. We don't know what the others were, but all were Galileans except for Judas Iscariot, the betrayer and there was not a single professional religionist in the group, not one who advertised his piety by the kind of clothes that he wore. In fact, the opposite was true. Jesus' disciples were attacked by the religious leaders because they did not obey the religious rules about fasting, about working on the Sabbath, and about ritual hand-washing. So, why why Jesus chose these twelve men, we don't know exactly why, but the four Gospels each list the twelve disciples in a somewhat different order. The only one who occupies the same place in all four lists is Peter, who is called Simon or Simon, and Peter, or Simon Peter, who was the leader among the twelve uh, and is listed in first of all the four Gospels. Now, three of the 12 were Jesus's inner circle. They were Peter, James, John, the brother of James. These disciples were not all men of outstanding intellect or ability, though. They represented a cross-section of humanity. Now, the thing that made them great was the relationship to Jesus and their commitment to Jesus. They were probably young men, probably in their 20s when the Savior chose them. Youth is the time when men are most zealous and more teachable and best able to endure the hardships, especially these disciples that we would see later on what they've gone through. Now, Jesus selected only the 12. Uh, Jesus was more interested in quality than quantity, and given the right caliber of men, he could send them out, and by the process of spiritual divinement, they could evangelize the world. So let's start taking a look at these one by one. And we'll start with Simon, whom Jesus also called Peter. Uh, he was the son of Jonah, and he was one of the most prominent of the apostles. He was first mentioned in the Gospel of John at the time of John John's baptism of Jesus. Uh, Jesus renamed him as if he had already decided to make Simon an apostle. Simon was his natural name, his new name was Peter in Greek, and his name Cephas in Aramaic, which is Jesus's language. Uh, Both names do mean the rock or rock, and this was reaffirmed three years later at Peter's confession in the book of Matthew chapter 16. Now Peter was a native of Bethsaida and had a home in Capernaum. Now, either he had two homes or he had moved from Bethsaida to Capernaum. Uh, We do know that Peter was married and his wife went with him in his work as an apostle. Now, Peter was a partner in the fishing business with James and John, and evidently he was a very well-to-do businessman. He was energetic, he was enthusiastic, impulsive, impetuous, he was a natural born leader and he was generally the spokesman of the 12. Now, the name Jesus gave him, Rock, was indicative of Peter's real character, which Jesus well understood. He understood Peter's strength of conviction, his courage and boldness, and even though he did deny his master and once failed to stand up for the truth of Antioch, his character was still that of courage and conviction. Peter was fearless under persecution, and he also laid the foundations of the church in Judea and led in onward such momentum that the rulers stood uh, stood aghast. Now, the second one I'm going to mention is John. John was one of the inner circle of Jesus. Uh, He was the disciple whom Jesus loved and was the most intimate earthly friend of Jesus. He was a son of Zebedee and was one who wrote the Gospel of John and the epistles of John and also the book of Revelation. He recorded that. Uh, his mother seems to have been Salome, who may have been a sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, if this is true, then John would have been a cousin to Jesus, and they would have been about the same age, and they must have known each other from childhood. They probably grew up together. Uh, for the most part. And John was a businessman of some means. He was one of the five partners in the fishing business, and he employed hired servants. Uh, That's why I said earlier, Peter must have been well-to-do, because he also had hired servants. Uh, Besides his fishing business in Capernaum, he had a house in Jerusalem, and he was also a personal acquaintance of the high priest. Now, John was the disciple of John the Baptist. If he was a cousin of Jesus, as implied in passages in the book of John, then he was also related to John the Baptist and must have known of the angel's announcement about John the Baptist and also of Jesus. So when John the Baptist appeared crying that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, John, the son of Zebedee, was ready to take a stand with him. On the strength of Baptist, on the John the Baptist testimony, John immediately became a disciple of Jesus, one of the fast or one of the first five, and he returned with Jesus to Galilee. Uh, then he went back, it seems, to his fishing business. And then later, probably about a year later, Jesus called him to leave his business and to travel around with him. He was thereafter with Jesus continually and thus was an eyewitness of what is written in the gospel. Now Jesus nicknamed him Son of Thunder which seems to apply that he had a vehement, violent temper. The incident of forbidding a stranger to us, uh, using the name of Christ and casting out demons and the desire to call down fire on the Samaritans are really interesting sidelights on his nature, but he appears to have brought his temper under control. Uh, now, John was one of the three disciples of Jesus' inner circle, as I've mentioned. He was recognized as the one closest to Jesus. Five times he is spoken of as the disciple whom Jesus loves. So he must have been a man of rare qualities of character. Uh, John and Peter became the recognized leaders of the Twelve and were generally together, although they had very different dispositions. Uh, John seems to have lived mainly in Jerusalem for a number of years. And according to well-established tradition, his later years were spent at Ephesus where he lived to a ripe old age. Nothing is known of his activities or whereabouts in the meantime. Now in Ephesus, he wrote his gospel, his three letters and the book of Revelation. Now we are running out of time, so I do wanna stop there, but next time we'll pick this right back up and learn more about Jesus' disciples and also how Jesus trained his disciples. So next time we'll start with Matthew and until next time, hey, God bless each and every one of you and keep living Christian strong.